Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, Annie Highwater, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Good morning, Kayla. Good morning, Dominique. So I have a situation that I would love to talk about. It's it's basically one of my clients is dealing with this. It's it's actually a parent of somebody who's using alcohol. And the situation is that her son is drinking a lot and has actually been causing damage to his organs. So he's got problems with his liver. He's got problems with his gallbladder. And at this point, it's not clear whether he's still drinking or not because he's done so much damage, he throws up all the time. So it's hard to say. But he and his wife both have issues with using alcohol. And what's happening is they're both not well. They both have high anxiety. They both have a ton of depression. And there's young children involved. And the house is a wreck. And the kids clearly are not really getting taken care of. So the question is, with this client, is do they call the authorities? Do they get Child Protective Services involved? Um, what do they do? Like, what, how, do, how and when do you intervene when things are really, really bad? And not only your child, your adult child is affected, but there's children involved. And a, and a partner. And a partner who's also got issues. That's right. This is a, about as complicated as it gets, unless you want to throw in drug use. But there's none, right? It's, it's alcohol. There's none. It's all alcohol. And there's no serious mental illness. It's, it's anxiety and depression, which may have preceded or not the, the drinking. It's preceded it. So there's mental illness in, in the family. Yes. I know I'm speaking for our child development expert who would urge the family or the outsider to do everything first before trying, before having to call the authorities. You just lose too much control as a family over what happens. And the general consensus from what I understand from people who work in this field is that child protective services just don't understand substance use disorder. They don't understand recovery. So I would put that in last place right now. Okay. And I would want to know a lot more information about the young parents and also what sort of recovery capital we're talking about. Have they been in recovery? You're talking with the mother of the son. How willing is she to involve herself in some craft training and start to provide uh, maybe a better immediate environment around the, the two of them? The other thing I really struggle with, and it must be considered, is when you have two people using together who are an intimate partnership or, or who are living together, one topples the other constantly, constantly. And so whatever you're doing for her, her son, you're going to want to help her daughter-in-law as well. So congratulations, mom. You've got two folks that you need to try and apply craft to. 
And so if you're not living with them, what's the translation? Because there's a lot of lying. There's a lot of shutting, being shut out. And when I say lying, it's like, okay, are you getting help? Are you doing this? And yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a waiting list. Yeah, we've tried, but we can't. There's all these issues here that have not been followed up with. And that's been going on for years because this didn't happen out of nowhere. And it's been the pattern for years to just sort of push on them or him and they push back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing what we can. And it's true. There are wait lists. And I'm sure in moments they have made calls, you know, one or the other. And or they both decide, you know, on Sunday and and Monday morning, we're going to make some calls, you know, and it falls apart because they're both unhelped, unrecovered and, and dealing with active mental illness and active drinking. So it just goes round and round like that. I would need to know there's no violence between them or towards the children. That's the assumption. That's the assumption that we'd need to really make more sure of that before you go in and start tweaking little behaviors and ways of communicating that might set people off, even though everything that's done in craft is meant to calm and and be respectful. You never know when it's going to backfire. And you don't want to be doing craft if there's a hint of physical violence. What we say on the the site is you can do craft if there's verbal abuse or if things are thrown away from you, right? Because that's very typical with addiction. Uh, Folks get very frustrated or, or very angry and they show it. They punch a wall, right? So that's okay because that is the nature of life with somebody with addiction, but you want to always be really careful when you're stepping into this. The children sound as though there's some neglect. Absolutely. And what happens is the house is a mess. Things have gotten bad enough that the kids are not being bathed right. It's also a sanitary issue so that there's stuff on the ground, like the cat throws up and they just leave it there or there's cat poop. So it's like a a sanitary issue. It's not so much about clutter, but sanitation at this point. There's no history of violence other than pushback verbally of you're getting in my business and you don't belong here or you're overwhelming me. And I would wonder what either of them, when they do want to stop, what the reason might be. If you imagine him or her, I'm sure they're not happy living this way, but what's the major concern? Is it the other person? Is it, if they're not pointing to the alcohol, what are they pointing to? They would tell you it's depression and and anxiety, that that's the biggest cause. They'll say that. They don't talk about the alcohol, but clearly the alcohol is involved, but that's clearly their self-medicating. And that's the difficult part because- Depression and anxiety absolutely get in the way of taking care of business, both of them. And if you have both together, that makes everything much more complicated to follow through because you're unmotivated because of the depression. You're exhausted because of the depression. You're basically inert because of the depression. And then the anxiety feeds that feeling of it's too much. I'm overwhelmed. I can't. So it's just this overwhelming combination emotionally. And then as always, the less you do, and as we've talked about before, the more of you avoid taking care of business, the harder the business gets to take care of. Whether it's 
cleaning your house or making phone calls or taking even taking care of the kids. But what's what's clear from what they're describing is that there's no structure in this house. So the kids who have special needs are not getting early intervention. They don't have structure. And then they just get worse and worse because they're not being socialized. And these folks are isolating. My quick and dirty answer would be to create an intervention craft style, whoever the close outsider is aiming for uh, one of them, whoever is more likely to do it, to see, and this is hard to find, a nurse practitioner or a psychiatrist or someone willing to address the depression and the anxiety along with the fact that they are drinking. So it's really about someone who's aware of both. They would be aware of both, but they know that they, they're in there to be treated for depression and anxiety as the primary. And you'd have to ask a professional and they'd have to ask this couple or one, one or the other a lot more to know if that's possible. But they may be much more willing to have that looked at, either one of them, than to address the drinking and so that gets them in front of the professional a little, a little earlier. Um, and on the side, the outsider or the family member, if there's a family member, warns the psychiatrist, you know, if they don't mention alcohol, which, you know, they will do an assessment. So it'll, it'll come up. But please note, doctor, that both of them are heavily drinking or, you know, whatever you want to say is as accurately as you can be. You know, the, the community reinforcement and family training craft The beginning of that is community reinforcement. And I wonder if the mother could find something in the community that's got a low threshold, a a recovery center, maybe a meeting at a recovery center that involves parents of young children. There's so many different meetings in these recovery centers. If they're near us on the East Coast, these recovery centers tend to be bi-coastal, the middle of the country has fewer of them. But if you're on the East Coast, there's one in, in Northampton, Mass, where we are. So I would definitely have mom create a little list. And basically, she's going to follow the, the, the modules. She's going to watch what she's saying. She's going to improve what she's saying. She's going to step in more carefully. And she's going to try and pull one of them into, as a beginning, into a community activity that helps them perhaps look at the at the drinking a young parent uh, who drinks there's a lot of help out there for that in massachusetts there's the institute for health and recovery that is their specialization and their national and they've put out trainings and curricula for young mothers especially young mothers who are raising children so all of what they do i recommend highly And you can reach them and you can get a person on the phone and they can help you perhaps where you are. And they will talk to the mother. You know, they're not like some who wait for, in this case, her son to pick up the phone and make a first call. So just little ways of pulling all of that apart without creating too much of a heavy load on on the grandmother in this case, assessing what she is willing to do. 
understanding what she's already doing in that family, she's probably already doing a lot. And I'm sure our child development, Mimi, would say well, she may have to step in and help with the neglect. And that may be all the energy she has is do a few things for craft and then get in and help with uh, making sure those kids are getting a little more attention. And for that to happen, she'll need the beginning of craft because I'm sure things are pretty tight right now, pretty conflict ridden between the grandmother and this family. So she's going to have to smooth that over and, and get somebody talking to her in a more connected way. And that's the first, very first step probably is, is for her to understand what she may be doing, how she may be stopping any negative talk habits. We would not want her talking about treatment, not until that, until she's been able to get into that house, until she's been able to sort of assess and help the, and see what the kids needs are, until she's been able to get somebody to open up and trust her enough to say, you know, what about this program for young moms with kids and they they address anxiety and depression in the moms, which is really typical and and um, and they have other ideas of what you can plug into. So what do you say we go and check out this early group that they have or for him, a young dad's group, they're young dad's groups in Springfield. They exist, but it's it's going to be chipping away at it. No grand moves. This is great because I feel like. Part of what happens, and I know for myself, it's like you see kids in this, the little ones involved. Okay, you want to just swoop in and save the day and make everything okay. But in the long run, that doesn't work. And I think that's really important to know. It's like the swooping is the problem because it's too big, too much, and it doesn't allow for change over time. But then the question is, is there a way to have some form of external motivation so that if they're totally in denial or totally in avoidance, how do you address that? Well, that's what all of craft was designed to do was to break through periods of resistance. And the word denial, I'm, I'm, I've been working on a piece around denial and I've been reading on it. And I have a sense from my own experience and from listening to thousands of people that denial is not a, a, an opaque wall. It is actually more like, like a continuum. Denial is heavy at first, and then things start to happen that happen to make you think, well, it could have been the drinking, you know, or something. But you go back and you hide in, in this place where you're not thinking about it. But I believe people are thinking about what they're doing to themselves every once in a while. And I think it can it can happen almost daily. I know my life looked fine on the outside, but at three in the morning when the alcohol would wake me up, there was such dread about the reality of what I was doing to myself. And then by seven, I'd have a beer and I'd have forgotten. And it's not the family that's going to see that 3 a.m. little wake up call, right? It's, it is the family that has built a bridge that would, will be told about that. And that's why if you want to break into denial, you have to build the bridge because people will talk about it. People will talk about the, these moments when they want to want to have it different for themselves. You know, that wish or a dip that we talk about. It happens. You don't have to wait for explosions. You can get to work today. She has two people that she loves in her life, this grandmother and, and the grandchildren, and just starting to maybe stop a little negative habit, stop talking about treatment, maybe just 
looking at the sum total of what she's doing and, and how, whether or not that's helping piece by piece, that's what she can do today. That's what she can do to help build that bridge into what is commonly called denial. But people will talk to you about their fears if they can trust you. That's the key to craft. Just build the trust, which is interesting because it's the opposite of what all of us are trained to do, which is to move in quickly, take care of things, fix things. And that's not the answer here. The answer is to build the bridge, to build trust, to build a sense of connection and to have openings, as we talked about in others in other sessions here, to really allow the person to come to you. And how do you set it up so that you're ready when they do and you're available when they do and that you're creating an environment where they could actually ask for help or talk to you or even just have slight openings and you're helping them to, to hear themselves and build up their desire and willingness to get help. It's such a different model. It's a different model because it builds on intrinsic motivation that may be just a little bit, just poking out here and there, but you can see it in efforts of controlling a drug use or alcohol use. That's a, all a period of little bits of motivation to want to cut back. And so you are already seeing people for years and they can stay stuck in year, for years in this place where they're just making little efforts to cut back or control it. And it, it's not enough to, to address or resolve addiction, but those are moments of something's going on that's making them wonder. And the other thing I just want to, I thought your, your summary was really spot on. The one thing I'll always add is if you can get to work, grandma, on some good options, and I know that's going to be hard, like a young parent program for women who may be having a problem with alcohol, you know, so we start looking and they're not easy to find, but a lot of stuff is online right now. You make this whole list. Uh, here's a psychiatrist who has a three week wait list, but we'll see you for uh, anxiety and depression. Here's a place that will take the kids and you for the afternoon and, and do something with you. I mean, anything that right gets them out of the house, gets the kids out with them. It's really hard to imagine a two and a four year old being ripped out from their home to the very best of places and it not being a terrible, terrible shock. If this household can be just incrementally shifted where the drinking is the primary thing to address, but the primary issue for the family, for the parents is the depression and the anxiety and probably some marital problems in all this. Then you have a several ways in. And I'd like to see that all on a list and I'd like to see it on the side of their refrigerator so that, you know, at 3 a.m., maybe they look at the list. SAMHSA says that 50 percent 50% of all people who know they have a problem are resistant to doing anything about it. And I think half of that would be cut back if you just put a list on the refrigerator. It's right there, mm -hmm. anytime, any place, any moment. But that list has to be good. And it has to say, here's the person you're going to call. He's expecting, your, he's expecting your call. You give him your name and he'll remember I spoke to you. And he's going to help you. That's what a good treatment center should do. It's got to be that very warm handoff. 
Yeah, because the other thing right now is that there's huge obstacles to getting help because there's waiting lists and there's COVID and things are not necessarily in person. But I actually think not being in person is a very good place to start for somebody who doesn't leave their house. So that's another another resource. It's like, how do you find places that will come in or you don't have to leave? And I think that would be really useful. Low threshold, stuff online, recovery centers again, recovery coaches. They're really right there. The door's open. It's almost a dream to imagine you could walk through a door and get help. But that is what these recovery centers do. And if you call them, they'll send you their weekly calendar and they're full of different groups. Tons of interesting stuff. That's the gift of this is that the more you ask about this, the more you find out. So I feel like what I want to offer to our listeners are be curious about this and see yourself as a detective, because if the list is one of the primary tools that we have, be an investigator and every every resource that you find, pursue it and then find out what they have. So it, to me, it's the networking model is you start out with one resource and then you get resources from that resource and you spread out. So you ask the questions about how, you know, in this case. You have the recovery piece and then you have the the um, mental health piece. What connections do they have? What what suggestions do they have? And then there's young children involved. What suggestions do they have for that? And then you contact those resources, get more information from them and keep going so that your list becomes amazing. And then at the end of it, you don't have to give somebody an overwhelming list because that's not going to help. But it's basically like to me, it's a menu so that you have choices for the kids. Here's a list for the mental health piece. Here's a list for the substance use piece. There's a list. And in this case, it might be here are a list of cleaners for the house. And as a case manager myself, I always look at what are the factors that people are struggling with. And it, that might need to be on the list, too. It's like if you need help cleaning your house, that's a, a an environmental piece that could possibly help with other things. I feel like be curious, be big about the ideas. Don't limit yourself to, OK, here's a detox or here's an inpatient rehab in this case, recovery coaches, the Institute for Health and Recovery, the psychiatrists that specialize, go on psychology today and there's a therapist referral list and you put in addictions or substance use and they you have specialists in that. And we have a whole a whole blog dedicated to finding treatment and also writing and reporting on approaches that are showing good outcomes. So there's a lot to do for the family. And trust me, you will not end up with a big list. You're going to be treated like, I'm sorry, who are you? And if you're not the person, they're going to send you to the marketing people. And so you're going to have to put on, you have to put on your shield and maybe make yourself a pot of coffee because it's not going to be fun and nobody likes to do it. Janine Bedard did it for us for 10 years. It was her least favorite task because she would put in hours and hours and come up with two possibilities. So good luck and let us help you find all those things. Come on to our site. Kayla, as usual, thank you so much. Thank you, Dominique. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. 
If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.